0: And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars that is Turkish for what does a donkey know about compote? Compote? hmm I
1: don't know anything about compote. I've never heard that word before. What's a compote?
2: Really? Oh, Rob, I'm sure you've made a compote in your lifetime.
0: Whoa. <laughs>
2: I have indeed. Um, but of course, weirdly enough, the cookbook and preparation uh, that was recommended to me was, of course, written by a donkey.
0: <laughs> well that just completely undercuts my entire argument here by the way that expression is sort of similar to the one in english of casting pearls before swine offering something to someone who doesn't know its value
2: we uh
0: we definitely underestimated the value of istanbul park circuit last time and were treated to one of the most spectacular races of last year so what about this year i am drew scanlon joining me danny o'dwyer how are you danny uh, very happy to be here. I've been living that Roman Grosjean RV life,
1: and uh, <laughs> who knew? He's, he's, he's right. Like a true it's American. Best, it's the best way to see
0: America, for sure. <laughs> also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob?
2: Not bad. Freshly returned from seeing uh, part of America. I was up in the White Mountains with family, uh, so enjoying the first blush of autumn. Uh, up in the forests of New Hampshire and uh, watching an F1 race with my actual family for the first time in ages, like live and in person wow. so, uh, so she came through for us very cool Uh, If
0: you're new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. If you are new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge uh, and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 137. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Every month, we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things so if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff head over to patreon.com slash shift one or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month Danny?
1: Uh, we are going to take a suggestion that came through the discord from user Axel159 uh, something I didn't actually really know about and then um Checked out in the interim, and it looks pretty decent. A Life of Speed, which is a Netflix documentary all about Fangio's career and life. So we're going to dive into that one. It's on Netflix, about 90 minutes long. Seems like it's well produced. So that's what we'll do this month for our patron-exclusive podcast. And of course, if you become a patron, you get access to, God, how many years now? Years of monthly exclusive podcasts, (laughs) which are evergreen, because they're all about racing series and movies. Movies you'd watch and ones you definitely did not want to watch. Um, we we covered the we covered everything. Um, a massive shout out to all of our title sponsors. A couple of new ones here: Jason Kelly, Will Romph, Umberto Roca, Troy Stammer, Circuit Demon, Reagan Snigs, Connor McManus, Joe Roberts, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foot, BPM. Mm, is that a spoiler?
0: What do you think? We say that
2: uh, we're gonna have one podcast. Like I don't okay. think we got to worry. Spoiler
0: for the the NASCAR race that just happened. Cover your ears for three seconds. Bubba pulls
1: out the McWin. Yes, that's B P O T. I'm not so sure. <laughs> no, that. look at the capitals, Denny. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so
0: the, um. Uh, congratulations to Bubba, uh, Bubba Wallace, for the 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 first black driver since I think like 1964 to wow. win a NASCAR race. Awesome stuff, worthy of
1: BPM's title sponsorship as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, uh, Drew Stewart, Simon Vilnov, David Mule, Joshua Hain, Tractor Share, Gnarly Goat, and of course Veal Shanks. Thank you all so much for sponsoring this silly little podcast, um, which apparently was in the video game section on Spotify, and they're changing it. Is that right, Drew?
0: <laughs> I uh, oh, did you? <laughs> did I saw you an see email response through? from the from <laughs> the did. ticket, the support ticket. Yeah, yeah what did they say i haven't actually checked it yet they said we're working on it we'll do it we'll put you in
1: automotive slash sports (laughs) underscore
0: automotive or something instead of video games yep had to send them some xml really (laughs) the life of a, a podcaster uh yeah okay cool um let's let's hop right into the news here before we talk about the circuit um danny you've got some calendar updates yeah, a funny one. This
1: so we obviously the the Qatar race was on for this year, but um, as it turns out, it, it might be more of a long term affair. Although perhaps not at the circuit that we're racing at this year. So well, it was um, it was
0: rumored, but this I think was the first uh, um, confirmation, right? That this this is going to slot in where where was it? Uh, Japan was or Australia was.
1: Yeah, it's going to go in November nineteenth. Uh, so sorry, okay. sorry, race day would be the twenty first. So it's basically part of a Middle Eastern trio. It'll it'll be beside um, Abu Dhabi and Jeddah. Um, and as I guess you're right, I guess it was heavily rumored. Uh, as rumored, it's happening at uh, is it La Is the name of it? It's the um, the one MotoGP GP has been racing at for. A long time since 2004. Um, it's floodlit for the MotoGP race. It will be that way uh, again um, for for this one. It's still pretty hot over there during the day, a, even in November. Um, but apparently, it's set up well for floodlights, so we'll get another floodlit race. Um, but the other, the, the sort of more interesting aspect to this, perhaps, is that they've also struck a 10 year deal starting in 2023, because of course the incredibly controversial World Cup 2022, which was absolutely not. Paid off much like the Russian World Cup. They both of them were absolutely not a, a result of uh, crippling um, uh, corruption. corruption within FIFA. Absolutely not. No way. Qatar is a great place to put a fucking football tournament in the summer. It, a great country to do that. Um, rich history of football, massive population that'll be inspired by football. No, nothing shady going on there. Um, crack
2: construction crews uh just yeah, whistling yes, exactly. while they work
1: well treated uh, um labor uh from within the Do we need economy. to get the
0: FBI to look at Formula 1 <laughs> is that what you're saying I mean uh, it's no- nowhere
1: near as bad when the FIFA stuff happened literally everyone in football stood up and said now come on this is just <laughs> daylight corruption are you insane Russia and Qatar and like the other countries that were up for it where it was like England and a bunch of other ones that like have had it due for a while but anyway um, yeah of course and in the years since the the terrible you know working conditions there have have made the headlines around the world Um, so what's happening basically is they have enough going on in 2022 and in 2023 um, they have struck a 10 year deal which is quite a lot for a, a Qatar race to happen Um, in the ever-expanding Middle Eastern region for Formula One. Uh, But suggesting that it won't be happening at a sale, it'll it'll be a new uh, circuit that they will build. Mm. Which, when you're talking about a 10-year deal, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like, not even Sochi. How many years did we go to Sochi? I don't think that'll have been 10.
0: Uh, Seven or so? I don't know. Yeah,
1: something like that, right? Yeah, so the location's unknown, but, you know, Qatar, not exactly a big country, so it'll be somewhere there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Qatar 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 I don't know
1: Qatar Qatar I we'd always say Qatar Qatar Airlines
0: (laughs) um so all right I guess I'll just I'll start with I'll start with this quote here from uh CEO of Formula One Stefano Domenicali speaking to Sky News in regards to F1 going to Qatar which is as you say Danny a country that has less than stellar human rights record uh Domenico says, quote, sport will help to enhance the positivity and the right values in each country we are going to because the spotlight of F1 is so big that you cannot hide. So let's just, for the sake of argument, give Stefano the benefit of the doubt here and explore in what ways F1 could be a positive influence. Uh, Like he said, it's an opportunity to shine a spotlight. So let's do that. And before you send in your angry emails, by the way, telling us to keep politics out of sport, that was the CEO of Formula One inviting scrutiny here. So, uh, according to The Guardian, as you alluded to, Danny, over 6,500 migrant workers have died in Qatar since it was named the venue for the 2022 World Cup. Yikes. Yikes. Male guardianship of women is enshrined in Qatari law, making things like marriage and divorce, travel, and even attending public events much more difficult for women. Uh, same-sex relations can be punished by imprisonment for up to three years, and you can be thrown in jail for five years for spreading rumors which are not legally defined. <laughs> so that's Qatar. I'm sure,
1: I'm sure nobody takes advantage of that, Drew. Come on. Yeah, right. I heard what you were saying as well, so you better, you know... <laughs>
0: All right, shut up. Uh, I'll get the
1: the Ministry of Rumors on you.
0: (laughs) Qatar is by far the only place that F1 goes that gives me pause, right? Like, we go to... I mean, we're going to Jeddah later this year. Uh, China, maybe you've heard of it. Hey, Um, have you heard
1: of the United States of America? They've got great (laughs) human rights records. True.
0: I do think the spotlight is a positive thing because by understanding who F1 is partnering with we can then make our own decisions about our relationship with the sport. So that's going to be different for everybody, but maybe it means you feel compelled to tell F1 things on social media or through their surveys that they do sometimes. Maybe it means you don't attend certain Grand prix in certain countries, or maybe, maybe it means that you just reach a point when you're just done with F1. And I wouldn't blame anyone for that because frankly, it's one thing to have a problematic country grandfathered in because of some existing contract it's another to keep adding them especially for 10 years uh and again i can hear people typing those angry emails so i'm not saying that you can't love the sport here i do i just hate that it comes with this frankly unnecessary baggage and i'd like that to change because i'd like to love f1 even more um that's my screed danny what do you think
1: yeah, I think I think it's very telling. Like we all know why they go to these countries, right? It's money. There's 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 plenty of places in um, the world that you could expand F one into. I mean, the continent of Africa is fairly large and has much higher population countries. Of, I mean, Qatar is like a small. It's like a peninsula. That too many people live on. Like it's not it's not a huge. Economy, well, okay, it's got a, it's a power economy, let's say in the region, but it's not it's not a huge market for them. They already have a race in Abu Dhabi, which is a snail. It's like a stone's throw away. You can fly there in like an hour. Um, you know, obviously, Jed is on the other side of the uh the the peninsula, but uh, or the the Arabian Peninsula, but you know, yeah, they, and they are also expanding into a region that has you know multiple races here already. Um, I am a little bit more. Like I, I am critical of Bahrain. I think perhaps, sorry, of Qatar. Um, the Bahraini stuff we had a couple of years back, where obviously there was an Arab Spring revolt. There, there was a, there was a, um, you know, the the Saudi tanks went across that bridge. There was uh, a race cancelled out of some of the drivers um, protesting it. So we have priors. It's not like you know you're stepping out of line talking about this by any means. But also, I do have the sense of you know countries who have committed evil that everyone has reestablished a relationship with America is pretty, you know, I could say it now as a citizen, maybe a little bit easier than <laughs> I could before, but America's right there at the top. America's committed more global atrocities and more in the past 20 years than any of these places have. So how do, how do you, you know, how, an illegal war in, in the region, which, you know, costs the lives of millions of people, you know, you can, we can pretend that it's all roses in this country does good in the world, but that's certainly not what I think. Um, so you know and and we didn't have races in America until recently again and now it's an expansion area and arguably it's the biggest expansion area in F1 because it's where all these Drives of survivors years are coming from so petrochemical states that are you know funding their their sporting events for their 2 million you know for the population of Dublin you know getting a world cup and getting an F1 race it's shitty it's corrupt it's stupid uh, you know we'll see if the race is any good but I I don't know how to yeah I wish I wish we clearly any issues people had with the um, uh, United Arab Emirates or Bahraini or uh, Saudi Arabian stuff has fallen on deaf ears if they're also adding another one to it so I, I, yeah maybe I'm a bit defeatist about it but that's kind of where I'm coming from.
2: No, I th- I think it's a fair point though that it is like. There are countries that draw a lot of criticism and universal condemnation for failing up to uh, failing to uphold or observe a lot of uh, liberal liberal values domestically uh, in their society. And that's the that's the category that uh, places like Qatar and Saudi Arabia end up falling into. Um, but that same criticism could be leveled against the number of races already on the grid uh you know Hungary is a, is is a country that is continuing to slide toward domestic oppression Tarky. yeah ex- exactly exactly like mm. the the problem is it's like these are like it is very easy to highlight places uh like Qatar and Saudi Arabia but you don't have to scratch F1 very deeply to start seeing that like by these standards there are a lot of countries uh, where yeah. F one should not be racing, and I, I think I think the point is well taken that there, there's a difference between there's a, there's a difference between F one being compromised by being a sport of the global north and being a leisure activity that is popular in countries that just as a matter of course have been at the head of empires. And exploited countries around the world, and conduct and conducted uh, like military violence around the globe. But then there's a then it is different when you have F one specifically in Domenicali putting the hand out to say like we want to get in on we we want to get in on that uh, you know Petro state money and 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 continue to uh, sort of. Not it's it's legitimizing is too strong work because i don't think f1 like really legitimizes anything but i think it it does burnish <laughs> the image of a country as being like normalized uh as, as part of the international community at times where maybe a bit of a bit more arm's length distance isolation would be helpful um but like i do uh, like fundamentally i think i'm i'm kind of where where Danny is which is that this isn't great but it's also reflective of just the ways that F1 is deeply compromised and to be clear so were a lot of us just as you know participants in uh yeah you know, in the in the politics and in in the economies of a lot of these uh, you know a lot of uh powerful imperial powers uh so the Qatar situation does bo- does bother me i think the fact that f1 is making is 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 almost putting the middle east as a foundational element of its of its racing season uh concerns me a lot because it it does very clearly signal that like there are these are a lot of issues where f1 is happy to look the other way and i do not buy I, I see the argument Domenicali's making that things like uh, criminal justice or repression or women's rights in Saudi Arabia or uh, you know criminal justice and the plight of migrant workers in Qatar I see the argument that these things do get discussed more just by virtue of the fact that major sporting events happen there and they become controversial. I see the argument. I don't really buy it. I don't think that is a I don't think that is a positive that justifies doing that kind of business. I, I think the you know the honest answer is the money is too good and we don't care quite that much. Uh <laughs> which is which is the reality for a lot of businesses. Um so I don't like Domenicoli's hand wringing doesn't really wash. I think it leaves the drivers in a really shitty position. I think this is the other thing that uh F1 like it's not just F one as a corporate entity that undertakes this. They're also putting a lot of drivers in the jackpot to answer these questions and sort of like defend why are you taking part in these races. Um so I think there's there's another element there as well, which is that F one is making decisions on behalf of a lot of teams and drivers, uh that maybe they would not have have preferred to make. Uh just a final point though, uh just to go to the As you said, Danny, like you alluded to the the market aspect, I also just don't think it's healthy for F1 to have so many races in a region where the market is pretty small and these things are crowding out um, other races with probably more organic communities of racing fans. Um, this is the other part is it's kind of a, it feels like a short-sighted greedy move to just be like, fuck it. We'll, we'll run this commission spectacle, uh, for these, for these petro states. And in the meantime, countries that are packed with F1 fans or prospective F1 fans can't get a race. You know, we talk a lot about the growth of the sport. Um, I don't know what signal it sends when you're, you're capped at 23 races, Four of them are going to uh, the Arabian Arabian Peninsula. Uh, Meanwhile, we can't keep a German Grand Prix to to save our lives. That's also weird.
1: One thing that I've, having been to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix weekend, one of the things that I always got from that was that it was kind of in a regional event, that you had a lot of Bahrain uh, and Qatar located people and probably as far as you know, uh, uh, as far as uh, um, Saudi Arabia or the other side of the Arabian Peninsula, like coming there. And and I always thought it made sense why they had Bahrain and Abu Dhabi at opposite ends of the season because you didn't want to cannibalize it. So I, I you know, the thing, one of the things that comes back with the market stuff um, specifically is that uh, Qatar is a, a very small country. So is Bahrain. You know. By sort of European standards, let's say they're they're very small countries. Like they're smaller than smaller populations in Ireland. And I, I think Ireland is tiny. So and we don't get anything rightfully because <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. There's no market there. So I, I do wonder that. Yeah, they're you know in it in a and we'll talk about it later possible twenty three race season next year. Do we really need to have four of these races? Um, I mean that that doesn't even include next year. Actually, does that mean it'll be twenty four in twenty twenty three with this new one?
2: I think they've wow. been pretty clear they're capping at 23. I think the teams have drawn a hard line around the 23 number uh, as like being the outer limit of what's feasible. They also said
1: there'd be no triple headers.
2: Yeah. That's... Yeah. Again, the money's too good. I just want to say one thing to clean up a point because I, I, I don't want to be – I think i come across as glib. The structure of the global economy is full of these compromises. I think F1 actually reflects in a lot of ways the state of the world. Right, which is that this is a sport that is has a lot of ha, has a lot of uh like automotive firms backing it, a lot of oil firms uh backing it, and always has. And by definition, those have always been uh tied up with extraction of natural resources, uh, and friendly regimes that facilitate that around the world. And uh, I think F1 deserves all the criticism it is getting, but at the same time, F1 is also reflecting very clearly uh, the realities of the global market we built and the things that, uh, you know, Western governments, uh, governments in the global North have chosen to care about and the things they find it convenient to ignore. And so like, while I think it is, uh, really frustrating to see F1 continuing to double down on this strategy. When we list those non uh, like non-Middle Eastern states where F1 is deeply enmeshed, uh, we forgot Brazil. Brazil absolutely belongs on that list. Um, I think in some ways you can look at it as F1 is a very compromised sport, but you can also see it as a sport that very clearly reflects uh, the way the economy is structured and the priorities that it sets on human rights and uh, like morality.
0: Well, should we move on to, uh, like you said, Danny, those 23 races that may be coming around the corner?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess Domenicale has done an um, interview with Sky Sports F1, and one of the things that sort of came out of this, and it dovetails nicely with a claim the race has made, um, is that uh, they're going to expand it to 23 next year and perhaps the biggest wrinkle for a lot of people is that a third of them could have sprints so we had three this year uh you know as or sorry we are in the process of having three this year right there's still one more to do yeah i think it's brazil okay um so you know um, there's been a lot of um uh, back and forth on that issue one of the things i found funny about the tweet that went out which was this little clip of domenicali basically saying what i'd said um was that a lot of the commentators in there uh and i will i don't want to make this too much of a black and white issue but a lot of the commentators who look like they're older people are down on the sprint races and then oh, they're like twitter fu- comments
0: Yes. And okay. then
1: a lot of the other people who are fighting with them saying, give it a chance. You just don't like change. Look like younger people. It's <laughs> <That's just laughs> like a weird. It's like I was just looking at the like the avatars trying to figure it out. But who knows, like how it's coming down. There's definitely a con- conversation about it going on. Uh, but one of the things that I found interesting from from the uh, interview was that Domenicali said the promoters are super happy because there's something new and very important on Friday, Saturday and sunday so clearly this is something that either they have been able to pitch to other circuits very easily or those circuits have seen it and gone we want that Mm -hmm. we want there to be a race on a saturday and a sunday they see packed stands on a saturday for the sprint race they see uh, probably an f2 or an f3 race on a friday there's a lot going on and it makes sense like if i was going to an f1 race this season I would want there to be a sprint race. It's a no-brainer. It makes sense from a just ticket-buying perspective. So I see that. Um, And then this also is part of another... uh, The the race claimed that the full 2022 calendar will be announced later this week. It has not been as a time of recording. Um, I saw
0: Autosport saying it was going to be the 15th of October. Okay. So we'll have one more episode.
1: Yeah, that'll be 10 days from now. Um, So obviously... There's a couple of attorneys in there, hopefully we'll get Australia back. hopefully we'll get Canada back, Singapore as well uh but one of the issues with this is that because they say that or Dominicali was saying that they basically want to end mid November still that means that there will be more triple headers um which you know we say are exhausting from a viewer's perspective. I like them. I like having lots of races, but it's it's a massive problem for. Um, the teams, you know, we had one in 2018. The teams didn't like it. Uh, the F1 basically sort of you know, a lot of the teams. I remember Claire Williams saying like, we, we we don't want this. It's not. It's tough on all of the people who work here. We have to be away from our families for so long. It's logistically expensive and difficult and weird. 2020, obviously, with COVID, the necessity of triple headers kind of happened, although a lot of them were double headers. So it took the edge off a little bit. With 23 races crammed into that sort of like 9, 10 month period, it becomes impossible for them not to do it. Um, So we'll see. I think bunching together some of those uh, Middle Eastern races like we were talking about will probably happen. Um, But you're still going to have, you know, starting in Australia and then going somewhere else. So there's no getting around it. So we'll have to see. The ever-expanding nature of F1 has been fascinating for us to report on for the past couple of years. 23 races with sprint races just imagine like the amount of quote-unquote races we will have next year um yeah it's a a bit of a famine or a feast at the moment in f1 yeah
0: um all right well from calendars to (laughs) and and places to uh things not about that boy we did spend a lot of time there um rob you got a couple uh cool stories here
2: yeah just an interesting one um so, Len Norris gave an interview, I think on ITV, uh this week where he was talking about mental health and in particular um the early part of his career in F1 uh where you know, he he said he basically had a pretty serious battle with like anxiety um during his his entry into F1 and it it sort of just made me recall uh, I think the real reason the story like hit hard is because again, I remember how much he was being dragged for his demeanor. Uh, and there was that whole yeah. question of, does he take this seriously enough? Uh, and so, you know, he's, he gives this interview and he, he was talking about, uh, you know, his, his feelings coming in F1. And he said, it's a bit of a shame, but there are more programs now where you get to see what the driver is like behind the scenes, the amount of pressure and the stress they have to cope with. Uh, Especially at my age, coming into Formula One at 19, there's a lot of eyes on you. So dealing with all of these things took its toll on me. Uh, It was feeling like I don't know what's next. If this goes wrong, if I don't go out in the next session and perform, what's going to happen? What's the outcome of all this? Am I going to be an F1 next year? Uh, If I'm not, what am I going to do? Because I'm not really good at many other things in life. So just all of that, and then just feeling depressed a lot of the time, uh, that if I have a bad weekend, I think, I just think I'm not good enough and things like that. And one, I think it's, it's great to see drivers talking about this. I think this is also sort of a generational thing where younger people are much more comfortable talking about mental health, um, and, and their struggles than, uh, you know an older generation, but it does also remind me of just how utterly shitty uh the commentariat around f one or the fan community could be uh around some of these younger drivers, like Landon Norris that first year uh his streaming activity drove people nuts uh the, yeah. there was that question of is he committed enough and I sort of worried at the time just. My concern is mostly, I thought it sucked that here we had really organic insight into like who these drivers were, and we were shutting that down. Like that seemed yeah. incredibly stupid. But also, he now, was it was fun, and they and they beat it out of him. And he does that less now. Not until, he hasn't yeah. stopped entirely, but he does it less. And but now it, I think it reads as cruel, right? Because now it's also easy to see is like he is trying to find his seat in F one and like get through all this. I know that video games have certainly played that role for me and playing yeah. with friends has played that role uh, and people got in his face about it. Um, so I, I think it's, it's cool that he's talking about this and he's, he's able to talk about it now from a position of strength. But man, I think back to what the discourse around him was when he came in. Um, and I see some of it repeated with the younger drivers right now. Uh, and it's a reminder, I think, of, of how loaded some of this uh, discussion can be.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we do have somebody out there talking about this. And I think in the post-Bernie era, you know, um, drivers being able to have their own social media presences, which are or at least more uh, personal, um, you know, broadcast than, than say, uh, you know, an, an official Ferrari press release. Um uh, yeah, I, I like, I love that Lando's talking about this stuff, and uh, I think it's it's only it's only a positive move. Um, yeah,
1: I, I I feel even worse for him about the drive to survive stuff from last year because they can comp- like that was the one part of it that we all agreed was like they're really making a story out of nothing here, the him and Carla signs stuff. You know, yeah. it seemed unfair. So. Yeah. At least he's in a position now where he can say it. But like if he had said this during his first year, then people would have said, Oh, he's a soft touch or something. You know what I mean? He's oh, not yeah. tough enough for the sport. Obviously now he's proven himself to be a you know, super capable driver and, and level headed as well in pressure situations. But it's just a shame it has to come to that before he he can even open up.
2: Well, a lot of times, what was what gets criticized is just any sort of hint of levity, too. That's that's the other part. Is it wasn't just the fact that he was streaming a lot; it was just like he didn't seem to be sufficiently angry or sad enough as an F one driver. And behind the scenes, of course, he's managing all this. Uh, so yeah, it's um, it's it's cool to talking about that. Uh, hopefully, rookies in the future, uh, you have a more understanding uh, env- environment that they're coming into. Uh, Now, remember, one of the things that he was streaming a lot in those days was uh, he was doing a lot of sim racing with his buddy Max. Um, And (laughs) during during the days of COVID, obviously, iRacing Motorsports was practically the only motorsports we were getting uh, that was good, and it it rolled. Um, So, uh, last week, interesting uh, deal came out. Mercedes uh, signed a deal with iRacing to put the... Uh, 2021 F1 car and next year's car with the new spec into iRacing and apparently like these are not going to be substantially redacted like these are going to be the cars and if you know like I don't play a ton of iRacing but like the 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 iRacing difference the argument is the levels of fidelity expected in iRacing uh, are just much much higher and I mean they the- do things like they they
0: use CAD files from the official uh, you know uh, engineers on the car they like put cars on dynamos and stuff to get their horsepower outputs like oh wow they, laser they scan do tracks laser scan tracks like they they see where the weight distribution is in cars so that they Jeez like Christ. you can flick them around corners more accurately it is like i i am surprised at this because the, the amount of secrecy that goes on in formula one this seems like well, I don't know. a complete reversal that.
2: It's next year's car. Like I could see this year, because like yeah. it's old spec. Like this thing is mm-hmm. gonna be like it won't matter uh how closely you you model this year's. Uh but like next year's that's really interesting. And the other thing that it makes it extra cool is um more than any other series, there's no real way to know what a modern F one car drives like. Like all the drivers on the record is saying like the Codemasters games are are Good, but not particularly (laughs) accurate, and it has a very generic handling model. The drivers have all been fairly frank about this. Um, and the story I pulled from uh Jalopnik uh mentioned that there is an F1 car, uh, a somewhat like current gen F1 car, already in I Racing, it's a McLaren from like their lowest ebb. Uh, so Yeah, so like McLaren <laughs> did allow one of their dogshit so, McLarens so, into iRacing. So it doesn't
1: start the race half the time. So what you're saying?
2: Yeah, well and also it's, just, it's performance isn't what an F1 car really is. Uh, it's got a GP2 of- engine in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's you know, it's it's awesome for us who do a bit of sim racing, I think, who just are are really curious like what are these cars like to actually drive? um especially like if they get the systems management aspects uh nailed in i racing i think it'll it'll teach a lot of us uh some insight oh wow yeah
0: like energy recovery and yeah deployment
2: like, whoa all stuff i i find myself kind of wondering about how it'll be implemented in the game uh but also again like right now there's a reason that indycar esports beat f1 esports like a drum during uh, sort of the COVID break, and it was because the indie racing was serious. Like, it was legit. All the racers were involved. It was, like, the real deal. The Codemaster stuff did look like a video game by comparison, and people were not taking it as seriously. So, like, I think it's also very cool that there will be much closer alignment between, like, the sim community around F1 and the actual driver's grid. Uh, So I think that could be awesome as well.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of Lando Norris and Sims and next year's cars, this dovetails nicely with an uh, article that Autosport has um, about next year's cars and uh, trying to determine what they're going to be like. <clears throat> um, so, I guess it's just a couple quick things about the twenty twenty two cars. Uh, you may have heard us discussing this stuff before, but they're they're basically F one's trying to solve the problem. Of the current cars being unable to follow another car closely, which is the dirty air problem. Um, turbulence from the car in front disrupts the aerodynamics of the car behind, making it hard to follow. Uh, by the way, Chain Bear has a um, great YouTube video uh, that I will link in the show notes uh, about the difference between dirty air and slipstream. Just a new one, wasn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. pretty good.
0: Um so the way that F1 is trying to combat this is to simplify the aerodynamics of the cars which reduces that turbulence but it also means less downforce. You know, less less downforce um on the car means less grip through the tires uh and as we have just heard from Lando Norris in this Autosport article, he has been dealing with that in McLaren's simulator. Quote, it's a very different car to drive. In a way, not as nice as this season, but I think hopefully that's the same case with every other team as well. And we'll see uh, there's no point in trying to think it's amazing or terrible. You just have to do the best job you can, and hopefully next season we go to the preseason test with a good car. So, not really news, but we get so little information about the new cars that I thought it was worth mentioning uh, that it seems like everyone yeah. will have, you know, an adjustment period. What that means in terms of potentially scrambling the field, I guess we won't really know until, you know, the end of the first qualifying session of 2022.
2: What's well, going to yeah, be so I'm, funny is watching the engineers recover all the lost performance. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. it's interesting to hear a driver say something negative, though, right? Because I wonder, that, well, that, will, will we hear more of that now? Will we hear more people opening up a little bit about yeah it's trickier because like nobody wants to be the first one to to draw you know so it's uh yeah I think that's what we want though right we want them to to have to I think what we want is we want them to have to deal less with the technical button switching and more that the car itself is trickier to drive and you know on the limit so we'll see yeah
0: I I mean that's uh, the case Roman Grosjean's had a lot of interesting things to say about the comparison between F1 cars and Indy cars and In a lot of ways, they are trickier to like. Certainly, more physically demanding, um, but also they don't. They similarly don't have as much grip. But you can like throw them around like a go kart. So there may be positives there too. Who knows? We shall see. Yeah, he
1: he seemed pretty excited that he didn't have to. That he also like the race strategy of an Indy car was was one that you could just kind of go hell for leather lap after lap instead of having no tire preservation. Yeah, the macro strategy is kind of not so much. of a shadow it's casting on the right
0: well danny that is the news should we take it to the turkey track
1: yeah so istanbul this is a an interesting one because we this was familiar to a lot of us for a long period of time it came in in 2005 like a lot of tracks of that era it it had its time and then kind of wasn't pulling in enough people maybe never did um and then fell by the wayside. And then last year came in. I think it was always a fun one. As a spectator, people liked it. As a TV viewer, people enjoyed it. But um, uh, So that's why I think last year when it came in to sort of you know help out the season, as it were, uh, we were very excited to see Turkey come back. It was like, yeah, no, maybe that was a good one. Yeah, give Turkey a go. Let's see what it's like. So the issue with it, uh, histor- historically... Is that it's another one of these tracks It kind of has one spot where you can overtake There's a long back straight Which has a turn in it But the turn is You're taking a flat out The turn's coming in as you're upshifting So you should be able to take it flat out basically Um, And at the end of that There is a uh, left-hander And a very uh, It's on a DRS straight And then you enter turn 12 And it's a heartbreaking zone You're down at the second gear It's super slow so that was the overtaking spot forever. But last year, for some reason, we started seeing these cool multi-turn battles appear. Some of that might have been the fact that last year's race was wet. So we had a lot of people skidding out. We had people touching curbs they shouldn't have been. Max Verstappen actually spun on that back straight, which was pretty weird, uh, uncommon. He took a bit too much curb on the left side. The track was um, green as
2: hell. And so the line true. wasn't as worn in.
1: That's true. Uh, So there was a couple of things that were kind of um, participating in in that. But we did see these terrific battles between turn 12, turn 13, turn 14, and then kind of into, because then it it goes back to the start-finish straight, which is also a DRS uh, straight, but it's fairly short. It's about half, maybe even a third of the length of the back straight. Um, But we did, did start to see some battles there. So hopefully we'll retain a bit of that this year. Um, you know, it was Vettel and uh, Charlotte Claire had a, a great back and forth there, um, and hopefully, yeah, we'll see some of that um, going on there. But it's a, it's a, it's a, a fun track. It's long enough as well. It's only fifty eight laps, um, undulating, very up and down, high G force. It's pretty extreme on the drivers, so maybe that's why last year we saw some uh, mistakes here and there um yeah so hopefully we get as i am not sure if we'll get as good a race as we did last year but you know hopefully even in the dry i'm not sure what the weather's like um it should be should be a good time
0: yeah um uh, i saw today race fans uh put up a like a their their pre-race article for for turkey and they mentioned uh as you said rob that You know, last year they had uh, resurfaced the asphalt and that I think they were also like inviting just regular random people to come drive around the track with their road cars to just try to rubber it in as much as possible. Um, But uh, Race (laughs) Fans says uh, almost a year on the track should be in much better shape. It has also been subjected to a high pressure water cleaning treatment. And according to Pirelli, this last detail only came to light after they'd allocated softer rubber for this year's <laughs> race than they chose last time. It was previously a punishing track for tires, so we could see higher levels of wear than usual on F1's return and a very different race. Uh you if also... we have any
1: if we have any turkish listeners they probably are like going typical turkey. Nobody somebody did something and then just didn't tell anyone they did it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of that type of place. It's very uh very um uh fly by your seat your pants kind of culture there uh relaxed as well but yeah. you also sorry Danny, go ahead no 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 yeah no no i've just i i i think i think it was a fun track last year and gave us a lot of surprises maybe we'll come into this one with too high expectation for it is my only worry um maybe yeah
0: let's talk about the weather saturday okay. qualifying day uh looks to be about 74 degrees uh fahrenheit or 23 celsius uh wind uh not nothing 10 miles an hour or 16 kilometer kilometers an hour out of the northwest mm. precipitation for qualifying time 47 percent wow flip a coin race day it's a little bit cooler at uh let's see here about ooh 67 or 20 celsius um oh, a little windier <laughs> Uh, this time, out of the uh, northeast, at 13 miles an hour or 21 kilometers an hour. Precipitation, however, uh, goes. It looks like it'll, it'll be 50 before the race starts, and then drops to 24 uh, percent at race time.
1: Oh, that's good though, because that's what happened. That's that's what happened last time, right? Mm-hmm. Was that it? It, it but it stays Changing longer. conditions,
2: cold yeah. and chancy. That's the way I like my F1. <laughs> uh
0: chancy the evolved form of the driver standings lewis hamilton's (laughs) on top with 246.5 to max verstappens 244.5 only two points separate them going into turkey track Valtteri botas is in third with 151 landon Norris in fourth with 139 sergio perez in fifth with 120 behind them carlos Sainz has 112 and a half then Charlotte Claire with 104, Daniel Ricciardo with 95, Pierre Gasly with 66, and Fernando Alonso in 10th with 58. Then we've got Ocon with 45, Fettel with 35, Stroll with 24, Sunoto with 18, George Russell in 15th place with 16 points, and then Latifi with 7, Raikkonen with 6, Antonio Giovinazzi with 1, Mick Schumacher, Robert Kubica, and Nikita Mazepin all have 0 in the Constructor Standings, Mercedes is on top with 397.5 points to Red Bull's 364.5. McLaren is in third with 234 to Ferrari's 216.5. That's also a close battle. Alpine's in fifth with 103, then Alpha Tauri with 84, Aston Martin with 59, Williams has 23 points, Alfa Romeo has seven, and Gene Haas and team have zero. Mm-mm. If you'd like to get on the leaderboards yourself, you can also join our fantasy league using the link in the show notes. Should we take it to some emails, Danny? Let's do it. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.co
1: slash emails. This first one, I've somehow deleted the name of the person right before <laughs> reading it. So I'll come back with the name in a second. Hello, shifters. Considering we've all seen over the first half and a bit of this season, do you think Hamilton is okay? He has uh, been gassed after many races, crashed in the pit lane, hit mechanics, lost many places at starts, and in general, just looking un-Hamilton. I don't think it's just the uh, crippling of the car that has pushed him right in front slash behind the rest of the pack. What do you think? Um, So, in light of this, just to remember that Hamilton is one of the drivers who had contracted... COVID-19 and has spoken uh, recently in fact um, about how he has suffered some you know general malaise physically after that. Lasting yeah, effects. That, lasting effects yeah that was uh, that question from Adam by the way. Thank you Adam. Uh, gents what do you think? Are, is there a bit of um, you know reading the, sort of uh, uh, reading too much into maybe some little problems or or do you think Hamilton's a bit off the boil this year?
0: Um, I think it <sighs> I don't if if he is it doesn't it's not big. I think it might be exaggerated by the fact that Max does now look like he's closer and so it, eyes are even more on Lewis Hamilton for every mistake that he makes, but he's also a driver that never ever makes mistakes. And so when he does um you know it's it's surprising. It's like it's kind of like a plane crash. Like right yeah. It, it never it these days it never happens and so when it does it's it, whoa, it's incredible. Um so yeah, I don't I don't think he's I mean he does he does look gassed after some of the races and you know he has chalked that up to to lasting effects from covid but um i don't think i'm not sounding any alarm bells about him what do you think rob
2: yeah i um i mean i think i think it's a valid point and i do think the the long covid aspect of this is is probably something to bear in mind but i also think director like when you're in a close title fight like this and, like, dominance suddenly evaporates for reasons to a large degree outside your control, everything comes into question and everything gets looked at harder. Like, I think if you had a couple seasons like this, you would see, uh, you know, some of the same uh, concerns that were raised about Vettel, uh, you know, in his form in these crunch situations uh, start to start to be raised around Hamilton. I also think, though, there is a reality of... At some point, we will probably witness a significant decline from Lewis Hamilton. Um, I, I forget what, I forget who said this in uh you know American football, but uh, careers do not finish well uh, for the most part like most people stay too long uh, and they don't leave when they're at their height because you don't know you've had your best day uh, when you're at your height right you't never, you never know the moment uh, when it begins to leave you a little bit so it could all be that like hamilton's had some fluky things he is undeniably like older than he has been uh he is in a difficult title fight and so you know it could just be this is all a bit unusual and it's these are all sort of uh contingent circumstances it could also be that like we have seen the best years we're going to see out of Lewis Hamilton. And this is what greatness transitioning to goodness looks like. Um, And I think the odds are very good that that will seem, that will appear to accelerate once he's on a new car generation. One of the reasons Schumacher, the argument was they never looked as good was car spec changed and like all his instincts and conditioning were for a different spec. So I think, uh, you know, Watch the space because I think the odds are good that people have even more concerns about Hamilton uh, starting next year when he's matched with somebody like George Russell in his own garage. Um, yes. But I think I mean, it's easy to, to read too much into this. But yeah, I, I also think the guy's not immortal. And at some point you do need to expect like he will not be on his peak form.
1: I was just doing a quick bit of googling there on when drivers retire, and it is a re- he's Hamilton's thirty six now, and it is like thirty six is when Coulthard and Button retired, for instance. Um, and there was a line out of the uh, Schumacher documentary, which we covered on our Patreon exclusive podcast, where Coulthard talked about how, you know, I wasn't as good as Michael, but I remember at the end of my career, it was harder. Like you just you don't have the the same speed you had the windows before. Windows close you the, before you even recognize yes, them. Exactly. So like. I don't think we're there quite yet with Lewis, but maybe, like you said, you don't. You never see that. You only see the peak of the curve because it starts going down again. Otherwise, you'll never. You'll never know when the peak happens. So, um, yeah, it will happen, right? It'll. Time comes for us all. <laughs> uh, Drew, do you mind taking this one?
0: Sure. From Evan, who writes.
1: <laughs> so okay, yeah. Let, actually, let me quickly preface preface uh-huh. this with: I am so sorry. 90% of the emails this week were about national anthems. I have chosen a handful for us to talk about. <laughs> okay. Sorry.
0: Yeah, you, you really really opened <laughs> the floodgates here for us. Um, Evan says easily the greatest national anthem of all time was that of the Soviet Union. Uh, right from the first note it promises a triumphant heart-stirring wave of high-mindedness and goodwill towards your countrymen and it never disappoints. Uh, the Russian anthem is more or less the same but doesn't capture 100% of the feeling, in my opinion. Uh, Another decent contender is the Aussie one, which still manages to maintain some energy despite going for the same pomp or reverence that slogs down the anthems of the UK slash US, my personal nationalities, so you know where my biases sit, LOL. Plus, quote, Our home is girt by the sea is a fun line. Does anyone know what that means? Girt by sea. I don't know, girt.
2: Oh,
1: that's like grounded, this...
2: like for, like uh, guarded. I think it's. Is it, 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 it? Isn't it like? Oh, like engirthed. Gir- yeah, like you, you are like you're, you. You're also girded in armor. Uh, when that's okay. a, with the G. Hmm.
0: To, that's to G. gird to gird one's loins. Yeah. Yeah. Gird.
1: To, yeah. What was the? I still don't know what the thing you said at the start was. The what the the palm. What was it? The, what? the, idi- the idiomatic expression? The, you said there was some sort of... Was it a food item? Remember uh, you the the said, donkey, the compote. The don- com- what's a compote? What is that? what a compote? How would you is. describe a compote, Rob?
2: Oh, God. Um, like a relish? Uh, in, in some but way, like, like a, fruity, a sweet relish. A sweet okay.
0: relish with spices in it. Like a, okay. like a jam, almost. But
1: like a savory jam, maybe. or a, Yeah. Compote. Could you use it in a sentence? Is there like a something compote? It, now it's coming back to it's me. It's like they,
0: uh, a roast chicken with a uh strawberry compote. Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, okay. Yeah.
2: The chutney you get with your Indian food order. There you could go. Could be considered a compote.
0: A
1: compote. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love a chutney. Uh, who else loves a chutney maybe Evan from Indiana does who knows hey all says Evan all this talk about national anthems last week led me to wonder something since Mazepin is technically a neutral athlete and not racing under the national sorry the Russian flag does that mean they're unable to play the Russian national anthem if God forbid <laughs> in parentheses he won if so what songs would they play instead I'm relatively new to the sport and didn't know how common situations like this are it's my understanding that neutral athletes at the Olympics uh, have the Olympic theme played? Uh, do I now have a reason to cheer for Mazepin on the off chance they play the F one theme on the podium? <laughs> Could you imagine That'd he be stands so up there good. And it's like, everyone's just like standing there like with their hands drawn, trying not to be, you know, that that's a that's a that's a pretty high anthem wow. right there. I uh, have no al- idea. I've looked it up. So, oh, yeah, cuz I didn't know either cuz I thought do they do a stat do could c- we talked about it last week it came up where it said they did it by the 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 passport, right? The country that your passport is on of the driver is what they go by, which is why Eddie Irvine had the British national anthem. Um doesn't really explain why they accidentally played God save the Queen for Jordan, but you know, what's <laughs> fine, we live and learn. Um so, apparently this came up in Sochi, because before the race they would play the anthem of the country. Oh
0: sure. Yeah.
1: But they didn't. They oh. just played nothing. They didn't do an anthem. So the same would be the case. If Mazepin got on the podium, they would not play an anthem. They would play the anthem for the constructors or whatever, but they would not play.
2: Oh wow, so uh, no Russian anthem, but a US the, the US anthem.
1: Oh yeah. That's funny. Which is especially funny considering the US team is heavily sponsored by Russia. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. As
1: well. Yeah so that's that's what would happen if 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 somehow you know 17 drivers went out and Mazepin <laughs> ended up on the on the grid um getting Haas those points they desperately need um it, uh, it was not,
0: it was not outside of the realm of possibilities at that race
1: yeah that's we we almost had it i think i don't think this is common to answer his other questions i i can't think of another situation where this was the case um yeah um there's only specific countries where this becomes an issue right if there was a if there was like a taiwanese driver and they won in china or so you know what i mean like the specifics instances where it's like oh there's something here that like is going on i think the the sporting ban for russia is pretty straight line in that respect um and obviously it's the case in other sports because there must be Russian athletes outside the Olympics and other places where they're winning stuff and not playing anthems and in, F- in racing as well, I'm sure. Um, we have one more question about anthems. Rob, can you take it, please? <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah Thomas writes the French national anthem is the best national anthem hands down first off, the tune is a banger it 's an exciting song full of pride and glory second it 's about getting ready for battle against tyranny who 's coming to kill who 's coming to slit the throats of your friends and sons is the most metal anthem out there every time it plays at sports events. I get a swell of excitement, ready to see France dominate uh, yeah, La Marseillaise is tough to beat just in terms of Like the text of La Marseillaise, it goes hard. I'm not sure the tune, like, quite lives (laughs) up to it. Um, It has great opening, but then it starts to just like uh, becomes a bit more of a a, uh, plotting chant. I would argue. Um, No, I'm I'm with the previous writer. Soviet Union's uh, national anthem is just the all-timer. It's an amazing composition. Uh, it's, it, it's like perfect through and through. I think mean, the only like rival to it in terms of composition is probably Deutschland. Um, I do like that Austria has a distinct movement, though. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. will say that. Oh, and exactly. who doesn't love Italy? Though, come on! I know with that, yeah. that's okay.
1: That's what came up last week. We all loved Italy. Italy, Italy's anthem is just like ridiculous. It's yeah. just it's a yeah, party. It's like it's a it's a total party. Yeah, it's like it it has none of it's like all the sort of like musical stylings of France without any of the pomp. <laughs> but, like, but then Da-da. again,
2: it's got that second movement where it's like while it is a party, uh, this is also a nation bonded in blood and tragedy so uh <laughs> let's let's pay respect to that as well
1: now that you mentioned it I'm, I'm going through anthems in my head they all do have that sort of like second movement right where it gets like you know we're having a nice time and then but remember the bad times but don't worry everything's gonna be okay <laughs> well, so
2: it's like <laughs> i i suspect part of it is like both uh the german national anthem and oh, germany yeah. italy Become countries during the Romantic period, and so they become like they have almost symphonic movement structure adopted for them. And I think like right, I think Deutschland is actually composed by a, a major composer, isn't it?
1: Okay, um, I don't know. We 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 hypothesized that last week.
2: Yeah, so that
1: it was like a. I suspect
2: yeah. like countries that like achieved uh, recognition or independence in that in that period, they've got those compositional national anthems old head national anthems straight (laughs) dog shit uh you know there's united states just lifts a middling uh you know song from from england god save the queen sucks yeah
1: (laughs) you're echoing a lot of what we said last week actually i'm glad we're all on the same page at this one no fuck god Um, save the
2: queen the cut like I don't know that England deserves a better national anthem, but uh, those of us who have to listen to it certainly do.
1: We got three emails from English people saying, "No, you're right. It's a terrible anthem." So I feel a little, at least, because I felt a little bit bad, like the Irish guy bashing the English no, national anthem. Yeah, it's it's not great. Um, and then this last email from Kyle uh, in Portland. Uh, he says, "Gentlemen, just wanted to drop off a quick note to say thank you for sharing your passion for motorsport. I was a fan of yours from your various gaming pursuits, and really enjoy." your banter on shift f1 uh, your podcast is immensely helpful for new motorsport fans and i really appreciate the race around the world section uh, it led me to check out indycar and i had the opportunity to take my dad and son to the portland grand prix here a few oh, weeks awesome. ago we got to see the phoenix himself roman grosjean up close and we had a great time at the race what an awesome f1 season we're having this year i can't wait to watch the shakeup and uh, the 2022 car thank you for all you do i'm a very happy patron and that was kyle in portland oregon and we we get these ones from time to time and i share them with the with the lads but i thought it'd be nice to read one out because it's something we hear a lot and i think it's probably the reason why we do this and have certainly i think for me and drew there was many years where it was like all right we're done now we're done this thing this thing takes a lot of time and effort um but it's messages like that and of course your patronage as well which which um uh, keeps us doing it so thanks very much for that call um and to all the other people who sent in nice emails over the season that i did not read out
0: yes and you can send in uh, your own emails to shiftf one podcast at gmail.com or go to the website f1.cool slash emails you can also hit us up on twitter at shiftf one podcast i'm at drew scanlon that is at denny O'Dwyer and at rob zachney that is us around the internet should we take it now around the world let's race around the world hey, hey, hey. well we are kicking off the weekend with dtm as a norris oh. ring yeah the
1: norris ring
0: yeah lando Ooh, lando
1: welcome to dtm
0: <laughs> uh we've also got the nascar xfinity series um <laughs> at uh the charlotte motor speedway road course in Concord, North Carolina, for the Drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. Drive for
1: the Cure! <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: drive um, for the Cure. That's good. That's what you were doing. You were biking for MS. That's, that's right. I was, yeah, would, I was riding for the Cure. Um, mm. The IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is at VIR, Virginia International Raceway for the Michelin GT Challenge. The motocross Grand Prix is in France. Oui. Speaking of. Um, <inaudible> for the <inaudible> motocross Grand Prix <inaudible> of France. <inaudible> the World, world Rallycross Championship is at Circuit de Spa-Francorchamps. Oh. For the World RX of Benelux. Oh, hell yeah. We love those
1: Benelux country. Shout out to Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg. Hope you get a race and it
0: doesn't rain in Spa. <laughs> and we got NASCAR. Oh, my. NASCAR playoffs are here uh, with the also at Charlotte Motor Speedway road course, which will make sense because it is the Bank of America Roval yes. 400. Oh, the Roval. I forgot about the Roval. <laughs> <laughs> the road it's oval, a- don't you know? It's a road oval. They could have called it the
1: Ode ov- of but they went with Roval
0: because it's better. Roval. Rolls off the tongue real nice. Take that. Lando DTM. And there's Formula One this week. What do you know? (sighs) Friday, October 8th, Practice 1 kicks things off at 4.30am Eastern Time on ESPN2, followed by... Free practice 2 at 8 a.m. on ESPN2. Saturday, October 9th, free practice 3 is at 5 a.m., followed by qualifying at 8 a.m., both on ESPN2. And Sunday, everyone, the race, October 10th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. The deuce. Wait, was practice at 4 a.m. Eastern? Yep. 4 30 Eastern. <laughs> yes. Cool. My watch stopped before I go to bed. <laughs> Clean sweep for uh for ESPN two this weekend. Just Oh nice. I don't know if that's ever happened. I don't know if all the sessions have been on one channel before. Right.
1: ESPNU didn't have to come in here. <laughs> nope. It's, uh no, when when Constantinople is putting up the race, you gotta you gotta give it the lay out the red carpet.
0: i guess. It's a little faded it's ESPN two, but um <laughs> all right, yeah, heading into the weekend, Danny. Uh final thoughts. Yeah, hope it's a good one.
1: I I feel now that I can't say anything about any race because I'm clearly haunted or have some sort of monkey paw that ruins everything. So I'm just going to say, I hope we have... No, I was about to say, I hope we have a race. I hope, 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 hope it's hope, hope I watched a car. Let's see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Final thoughts, Rob. Uh,
2: Just important update. Uh, Deutschland über alles, uh, composed by Joseph (laughs) Haydn. So if you're wondering why does it go so hard, it's because... The goat wrote it.
1: <laughs> Is he, that's the thing, but they can never redo it. Like, you can't have, like, Paul Van Dyke take another swing at it or something. No, German? but they did they sort of redo
2: it uh, because Who? they put new words to it in the 1840s. Uh, because originally it was God save the Austrian Emperor, basically.
0: Um, <laughs> and the
2: 1840s, we <laughs> were like, what about not, what about not an emperor? <laughs> and not an Austrian emperor.
1: <laughs> no, well, obviously they d-
0: did not listen to their own advice. Then, true. What's uh What's Ferdinand up to? What's Mister Habsburg doing? <laughs> is he still racing? Uh, by the oh, way, yeah, that's we, should, we should check in on the family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the uh the song title we could not think of last week. The the American version of God sing, save the queen is My Country Tis of Thee.
1: There you go. Yeah, I had some emails for that, too. Yeah. There
0: we go. Yeah, so Very if you good. if you think you don't know the tune of the English National Anthem and you're American, you do. You do. Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes British. and the official Shift F1 Discord, you could do so at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.